Bertha Charuma on SAFM. Welcome back to The Viewpoint. I love my Phineas, my Phineas. <laughs> He's my technical producer. <laughs> and we just work so beautifully well. Apart from him giving me too many sweets, I'm like a bouncing baby. So every now and then you can tell by my voice that I'm up to no good. But anyway, uh, coming back to matters that really, I mean, to issues that really matter, let's talk about this. And uh, it'll be interesting to hear your views. And it will be interesting to also, let's have this conversation where Africa is concerned, our beloved continent. And I know that, you know, we like to ask for help from the West. Yes, we were colonized, but it's been years now. And I think if we really put our minds and our heads together, we could be a self uh, sufficient uh, continent. But uh, to help us unpack some of these issues, I've got Dr. Gideon Chitanga, researcher at the Center uh, for the Study of uh, the United States at uh, Wits University. So to just give you a little bit of background so that you do get some insight as to why we are having this conversation. So, you know, we have been expecting some form of injection uh, from the United States. So the United States at some point, I think uh, even during Obama's time, they had committed themselves or had given an indication that they were going to give us some funding, some capital um, to, to, to make sure that, you know, Africa is well greased, it's viable in terms of all the little nitty gritty problems that we're facing. Like, look at us in South Africa at the moment, we're struggling with electricity. And I think uh, if we're given a couple, a couple of millions uh, or maybe a billion or so, we could sort out our problem. But do we really have to wait for the United States to do that? But whilst the United States had made these promises and we've been waiting for an MOU to be signed and it never just happened. And then BRICS came about. And BRICS, BRICS, you know that we've got Russia, we've got India, we've got China, we've got Brazil, um, and of course South Africa. And they came up together and they actually have been sitting and saying, maybe it's about time we come up with our own currency. Let's see what we can do. But I love the Chinese. They came on board and... Um, Literally, they've been going from one African country to the other and doing some really fantastic work. Is it so fantastic? I think our good doctor will be able to tell us whether it's great or uh, we are sitting on a time bomb. Or maybe it is good. Doc, good evening and welcome to The Viewpoint. Thank you. Uh, good evening and uh, an interesting background to to, to the issues that can. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I mean, we are aware, well, well, well acquainted with the United States, you know, uh, they've been lagging behind uh, countries like China, Russia, in the fierce competition for influence um, in Africa and Washington's influence in Africa. It just dwindled. And I remember when Donald Trump uh, was basically in power, he was more focused on for the Americans, with the Americans, by the Americans, and literally uh, sidelined um, Africa. What is your take? Do we really, really have to wait uh, for this kind of support? Well, uh, the question is uh, is uh, less about uh, waiting and more about um how uh, Africa can utilize the, its growing strategic interests 
in the context of um i think global relations which are changing i'm trying to to use like a, a language that is accessible to all of us we know we are aware that for a long time the us has been the sole major global power in the world and to that extent soon after colonialism and um followed by the the end of what used to be called the cold war which um which uh, refers to the fall of uh, Russia as the USSR then in the in the in the 80s the US became a singular dominant hegemon or strongest power but also working very closely with its allies in the European Union and the West if you like and because of that nature of the relations the African continent relied very extensively on its uh, relations with the West broadly defined uh, Europe, the former colonizers, the US in particular, uh, and a way of relating that was structured in that historical moment uh, was had a certain set of norms which were in short and fair to the African continent. Uh, and to a certain point, Africa was just viewed as a crisis continent with lots of conflicts and diseases and so on. And African leaders were not taken seriously. But when we talk about a, a change e, e, to a multilateral world, I think we are, are most importantly looking at the rise of China e, and its major transformative interest and engagement with the African continent as well as other countries in the global south or developing countries, e, which has given e, the African continent and other e, developing country, e, countries a kind of a choice to say, okay, if uh, the US or Europe uh, are not giving us what we want or are not meeting us at the point of need or the point of our interest, then maybe we can look at China. And I think um, uh, there is a whole difference in the way uh, that China has chosen to relate with African countries in contrast to how uh, the US and uh, European countries have related to to the African continent, what what you see as the outcomes of that relations in terms of the results is that China is seeking to redefine values, is saying to at least African leaders, let's engage equally, let's hear each other, let's sit across the table and discuss issues that affect you and what you think about what we seek to do in your continent and let's um, have some trade-offs we are going to provide infrastructure into your continent because we want to do business with you. We want to trade with you. And Africans are, are happy because this infrastructure is changing the continent, linking countries, facilitating the movement of goods and, um, and people and services. If you compare, at least at the moment, I think China developed from 2000 to becoming the biggest trading partner with the African continent. The biggest trading partner with um, with South Africa, I believe, and the U.S. is potentially possibly number four, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that is the context within which the, 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 the U.S.-Africa Leadership Summit was held last uh, December. But also, it's important to highlight uh, two things that you mentioned in your introduction. Uh, 
Uh, under the presidency of George Bush, the U.S. launched PEPFAR, uh, a program which provided uh, a lot of uh, funding around issues related to HIV and AIDS. Uh, under President Obama, um, I think the U.S. launched Power Africa, uh, which was uh, uh, more focused on uh, in infrastructure and providing energy. Uh, but these two programs did not have such an extensive impact at a time when um, China uh, was getting to the peak of uh, uh, funding of infrastructure development in the African continent. So when President Biden uh, uh, held this um, uh, US-Africa leadership summit, uh, the subtext, even the major policy uh, uh, slides that came up uh, from that uh, meeting, they were partly to at least respond to the growth, the development, the solidifying of relations between China and African, different African countries, including at continental institutional level. And second, trying to Washington realizing that it was falling behind the ladder and some of, um, for some of its interests, particularly if you think of strategic mineral resources, countries of interest to how the language of corridors, which is what is used post the U.S. leadership, Africa leadership summit, in engaging with the African continent, sort of response to American interest in the continent. All these things were there is a realization in Washington that the U.S. is trailing behind and it's seeking to at least find a gateway and re-engage extensively with the African continent. It's even redefining uh, its rhetoric. Now it's talking about uh, mutual respect, uh, uh, mutual benefits, uh, respecting African leaders and uh, starting to hear them. So the historical shifts are really a big moment in, 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 in for Africa. And I think the second thing, is the opportunities that are emerging from both the side of China and re-engaging with the U.S. are also very important. The key question is, will African leaders be able to sufficiently and effectively uh, leverage these opportunities to ensure that the continent and different countries in the continent can benefit? The Africa um, Continental Free Trade Agreement, can it be a platform that can be leveraged to ensure that at this moment the continent benefits more than any other historical moment. The historical voices that we have been denied because of the nature of our history. Can we now say at this moment where uh, the U.S. and other international leaders are saying we need more representation of Africa at uh, the International Monetary Fund. We need Africa to be part of the of the G20. Are African leaders going to be able to at least make the critical agreements amongst themselves so that uh, we have uh, very loud and clear voices that are beneficial for the continent uh, in this uh, multilateral institution. Mm. I think, I, let me just uh, also just hear, uh, hear other viewpoints because I, I know sometimes I can really get too opinionated and you know, so that we have a, a, a balanced conversation. Let's go to a voice note and, and hear what's in the voice note. Good evening, my sister. How are you? Mafuta here. Yes, uh, I think your question is to whether the U.S. is uh, keeping to its promise on helping Africa. Maybe for me, it's a wrong question. The correct question is to ask ourselves as Africans, 
what as Africans are we doing to help and this depend on U.S. or Western aid? Really, honestly, the thing of depending on Western aid, uh, we are selling ourselves and our countries to those countries because the U.S. in particular has got a tendency of double standards whereby they give with the right hand and they tend to take away again uh, with their left hand. So honestly, we should not depend on aid or any help from the Western countries. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mafuta. I've also just received a message uh, from Donald in Rustenburg, and he says, good evening, Bertha and the, and the brilliant team behind the scenes. I agree with uh, Dr. Chitanga. America is playing a vital role in helping Africa to reach its full growth potential. Um, Mandela Washington uh, Fellowship, uh, PEPPER, USAAI, uh, USAID, only to mention but a few U.S. embassies are busy in different countries in the region helping us, which is all true and fair. So I, th I think let's take another, let's take a caller and then I will come back. Uh, Mamvui in Parktown, good evening. Welcome to The Viewpoint. Yes, thank you so much, Papa, for taking my call. Uh, I beg to differ, you I was still in the U.S. when Obama became president. And uh, there was so much euphoria, especially in Africa and uh, more than in the U.S., because if ever they were going to compensate the, the, the peoples of the continent, they would have done it a long time ago. If our brothers uh, and sisters that are offended of those who were taken as slaves from the continent, very brutally so, uh, are still suffering in the U.S., and we expect any compensation from the U.S., all what is happening that Donald and them are, are mentioning and even the, the doctor there, it is it, it, not, not what they've, they, 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 the evil they've done to us, the evil they've meted to us, the plundering they're doing each and every day, like now, they're busy plundering. You understand? So for me, I have no hope. Hope is that ourselves to become innovative and help ourselves. Forget about, um, you know, going to Europe. What we're doing as Africans, the mistake that we're doing, we're committing idolatry. We worship the West too much. And if scholars themselves cannot take themselves out of this pit, and we expect it to flow, it's supposed to flow to the ordinary uh, African on the street. But it's not flowing because they come and tell us something that is not happening. You, you talk peace. If the U.S. itself doesn't know what this means, you know, you check development, the U.S. itself doesn't. What they're doing is plundering, deception, double standard. They want to see us sinking down. Wait until this war arrives in Africa. That's when, uh, mark my words, this war that's coming like this, it will end up here and we are going to be killed. That's Mamvui in Parktown North. Mamvui, thank you so much for your for your view. Well, I'm an advocate for Africans must do for Africans. And I suppose also, you know, getting an injection uh, to fast track development is an absolutely fantastic thing. I don't know. Um, Doc, Dr. Gideon Chitanga is online uh, chatting to us this evening, researcher at the Center for the Study of the United States at Wits University. What's your view? What's your reaction to uh, that call? You see, uh, all these views are very interesting, and I am actually struck by, by what uh, the last caller mentioned. I think it's um, 
it's a reflection of um, the skepticism that uh, a lot of Africans have when it comes to Western policies towards the African continent broadly, but also how uh, Africans increasingly view the role of the U.S. in its relations with the African continent. Uh, there is such a, a sense that when it comes to what the West promises to our leaders, to African citizens, eventually they do not deliver the tangible material benefits. It might be huge figures in numbers. At the end, what they have as statistics, it's what they can see and not necessarily what the Africans who are sitting in their houses can come out and say, this is a product or a result of um, the relations between the South African government and the American government. And we respect this. We appreciate it. It really resonates with our interests and our needs as citizens of the country. I just want to contrast this with um, the government of China sponsoring a bridge or a road or some kind of infrastructure that an ordinary person can see or observe. You walk there, you see the bridge, or you walk there, you see a factory, you walk, you walk there, you see a port. And this person who is directly visualizing this uh, type of infrastructure and its setting can actually easily link his or her livelihood to, um, to the results of state-to-state um, -state or government-to-government relations. So there is a huge gap of expectation and delivery when it comes to relations between Africa and the United States or Africa and European countries. And that gap is partly because they overpromise and do very little, or there is a whole long bureaucratic chain until what they would have committed to the continent arrives. And when it does, it's a very small fraction that does not eventually um, at least reach the ordinary people to the point where they can visualize these e, e outcomes of these substantial relations. Key problem. So a gap of uh, expectations, a gap of uh, delivery, a gap of trust. And unfortunately, other huge e, important e, events, the conflict in Palestine, to an ordinary citizen who watches television, they hear the role of the U.S. and they see people who are dying in Gaza and they are left with a sore perception that the biggest power in the world cannot protect what is coming out as people who are vulnerable. And this is how uh, Africans have been historically treat, treated. It, it leaves a sore test and it deepens a sense of skepticism with one of the or the what used to be the biggest power in the world. And these attitudes are key in redefining perceptions and our sense of a multilateral future that we expect. Coming back to what Africa should do, I think African leaders should be looking at this relationship and listening to the citizens and using these views that I imagine to say to the US, this is what we need to say to Europeans, this is what we need when we trade or we do business with you. Yeah. As much as they should say the same to China, to say our citizens are wiser. The new generation of Africans 
are not only uh, consumers of uh, international rhetoric, things that comes that come out of conferences. After you have said something, they will actually make an audit to say, okay, uh, at the Africa US Africa Leadership Summit, uh, so many things were promised. We are seeing visits of um, high-profile leaders coming to Africa. We hear uh, different amounts uh, being uh, thrown in the air. We have heard uh, talk about the the corridor that should link Zambia and um, the Democratic Republic of the Congo and Angola. It's a year into since the summit. So where is the evidence? And as long as they don't see these things, then they start to question. A private company promised within the framework of um, the U.S.-Africa Leadership Summit to build 186 bridges in Angola. After a year, where is the evidence? And they do not go into the process issues and so on. What they want to see are the outcomes of these relations. And when they start to see these things, then the attitudes can shift. But what is more important, I think, is that what we heard from the voice notes and from the call is that we are really in an historical era way of where we have Africans who have an interest in domestic and international politics, they are aware, they follow these things, and they are calling big countries as well as our governments to account for whatever agreements they get into. Yeah, uh, Dr. Gideon, I've got, I think I need to squeeze in two calls so that you can sort of like wrap up. I know that I'm, I'm running, I'm literally chasing time here. I've got Anonymous in the Northwest. Good evening, welcome to The Viewpoint. Good evening, Beta and Dr. Chitanga, how are you? Hello. I'm fine. How are you? Yes, I I'm can good. hear you. All right. I, me, I agree with what you are saying, Dr. Stanga. But I stand with America in this one. Especially if you can compare America, Russia, and other like Chinese countries, those Asian countries. If you check the contribution of America in Africa, let's say Southern Africa, to be specific, is much greater, my Dr. Stanga. Check like countries in Zimbabwe, in rural areas, you can find a garden funded or a cooperative garden, sponsored or funded by the U.S. There are many cooperatives funded by U.I.S. Chinese, they, they are mining every day, day, day in day. And you can never see even a bow drilled by a Chinese government, even here in South Africa. Like Czech Mandela Washington Fellowship Program. I think it was a program initiated by former President Obama in 2014. It was Young African Leaders as initiatives yearly. Up to today, I think there are many students in the whole Sadiq region. Because I'm sure, as far as I remember, I think there will be 60 students going to America to study, to pursue their studies. Each and every country in the region, maybe 60 or above or 60 or less, going to America. Even Russia, they cannot even help us like, to that extent. Unlike China, China, they can help you do a parliament. Next time, the next thing, they are looting your resources, minerals. They are employing your people, but they are paying peanuts. America is doing it. Let us appreciate, guys. The U.S. embassies, you go to their websites right now, you see that they are doing everything. They are helping us, to be honest. They are helping us. America is helping us. And like Russia, China, they are just busy looting our resources. But how many people who are in Russia right now, if you can ask, or who went to Russia to pursue something, that's you as compared to America. The problem is our government in the Sadiq region. Some of the countries, they are even barring the American or even 
non governmental organizations which are sponsored by America to work in their like Zimbabwe for, to, to, for example. During the time of campaigning, you hear them, no, we don't want Oxfam, we don't want the spearheading a regime. You see, that's the problem. The problem is our government, mm-hmm. not America. America is over in Europe. That's according to me. Thanks, Anonymous in the Northwest. And um, in wrapping up, uh, Dr. Chitanga. So, so thank you, Anonymous. I guess uh, that uh, Anonymous is in Zimbabwe. Next time, I think you should uh, uh, just share your name. Your views are very interesting, except that um, I think you need uh, a deeper understanding of, um, you referred to NGOs, or, or a deeper understanding of uh, how NGOs work. The second thing is you, you mentioned uh, the, the Mandela Fellowship, and he, there is certainly a lot of uh, African students, including Zimbabweans, who are studying in the U.S. and uh, in, in Europe. He, I can tell you that um, there are 80,000 students who are African students who are studying in, in China as we speak. And um, he, I know roughly from the statistics that the, the number of students who African students who are studying either in the U.S. or in the EU including France, is lesser than the number of African students who are studying in China. I can certainly say that within the context of Africa-China relations, the NGOs, non-governmental organizations, as a structure of society, or what we call civil society, is marginally represented within that framework compared to the U.S., which tends to uh, use uh, the private sector and uh, NGOs as their avenues of influence. Uh, but when you look at the outcomes and the politics behind uh, uh, the use of the different um, kind of structures, uh, they have different goals, different intentions, and different uh, outcomes. And this is why governments or states would um relate with these institutions in different ways, including uh, what uh, Anonymous scholar uh, mentions is the repression of civil society. But it's a question uh, for a different day, maybe, where we can discuss uh, why in some countries civil society face, face certain types of problems. And in certain countries like South Africa, they don't face certain time, types of um, uh, problems. But again, I appreciate the knowledge and the interest to into these issues. I am also learning from these people. The key thing that I want to say to to Anonymous is he clearly reads the the embassy pages of the U.S. and uh, and maybe other countries, which is important. I urge him to also read the embassy pages of uh, the government of China and uh, the government of Russia, so that his views are are more informed than they are now. Mm. Well, Doc, thank you so much for joining us. We have to end it at this point and um, have yourself a an exciting festive season. Thank you for making time this evening. Thank you so much.